0: Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today, so prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group's pastor, John Shaw. Morning. Hey, can I ask you a deep philosophical question really fast? What is the Christmas spirit? Like, honestly, I need to know because I'm pretty sure I don't have it. Um, if you were here last week, uh, two weeks ago, I guess it was, Joey uh, referred to me as the Grinch on staff. Um, and, it, and it's kind of true. Like, I, I don't get Christmas. It, it just, I, I just don't like we, we spend like two days hauling down 40 boxes out of our attics to decorate um, for a month and we have to put it all away again. Um, and then Santa takes credit for all my work. Like, Come on, like seriously. And and besides all that, like the season is just so busy. Like you're going to party after party after party and, and you're trying to arrange everybody's schedules. And if one person can't make it, then they're all upset and it's just stressful. And on top of all that, my kids aren't in school and I have to keep them alive myself. Like, come on. But really, I kind of joke, but the the thing that I don't like about Christmas, like honestly, truly, is like the gift giving aspect of it, like it just stresses me out. Like I understand giving to kids and stuff, but like to other adults, like I have to figure out something that you want or need when you already have everything, right? And then if you give me like this amazing gift and I gave you socks or something, like I just feel bad. Like, there's, there's, there's. I know it's wrong. Don't come up to me afterwards and tell me John, listen. I know, I know it's wrong, okay? But I, I just don't get it. Why, why don't we just keep our money, you know, buy ourselves what we want when we want it and let them keep their money. They can buy what they want when they want it. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. So what is the Christmas spirit? Because clearly I don't have it. What is it for you? Is it, is it the Christmas music that you play like 24-7 from Thanksgiving until the 25th? Is it, is it the decorations? Like once your house is decorated, ah, Christmas is here. Is so it like the smells like cinnamon and apple cider that we have out there. Mmm, Christmas is here. Is it, is it like Christmas morning, everybody rushes to the tree and we're shredding open the, the gifts and stuff. That's Christmas, right? That's Christmas is, is here, that's the Christmas spirit. What is, is it the Hallmark movies where 10 minutes in, you know what's gonna happen at the end, right? What is, what is the Christmas spirit? I need it, you need it. But whatever it is, there seems to be this gap between our cultural celebration of Christmas and what you and I as believers call Advent, the preparation of our heart for the coming King. And even then, when we're talking about Christmas, there seems to be this gap because every year, study after study after after study shows us that there is a high spike in anxiety and depression and suicide at this time of year. There seems to be this gap between it's the most wonderful time of the year and the reality that many people face, and perhaps even you. So what is the Christmas spirit? Today, we're looking at Psalms 98. If you wanna open up to the Psalm, that's where we're gonna be spending most of our time. And I think the Psalm is going to describe for us what the spirit of Christmas is. This was written a thousand years before Jesus, but I think it will explain to us what the Christmas spirit is and just a little preview of its joy. But this this psalm is what caused uh, Sir Isaac Watts to write the song Joy to the World. The first song we sang today. If you were late, I'm sorry you missed it. Um, But Joy to the World was based off of this psalm. Uh, Isaac Watts wrote hundreds of psalms, and, and many of them we still sing today. Uh, his famous is probably, when I surveyed the wonderful, cr- wondrous cross, but this might be his second most famous song. And so we're going to walk through both the psalm and the song today, because I think it's going to show us a little something about Christmas spirit. See, Watts grew up in an era where he thought uh, church music was boring. Like, maybe you grew up in a church like this. Um, I... I kind of grew up in this, but my grandparents, oh man. I, I found this meme, and I sent it to Will like months ago, so I dug it back up for you. But this was my grandparents. I'm pretty sure they thought it was a sin to smile in church, <laughs> pretty, pretty sure that's what it was. So serious, joy to the world. Like that's how they would sing, like don't get carried away there now. Don't have too much joy in church. But this is what Isaac Watts said. He said, to see the dull indifference, The negligent, thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of the whole assembly while the psalm is on their lips might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. I know that's old English, so let me translate for you. When I look at their faces, I don't believe what they're saying. That's that's what he's saying. When I look at their face, I don't believe what they're saying. And I I feel that. I know sometimes you feel that too. I'm rushing to get the kids ready in the morning, trying to get them dressed, you know, feed them. They're arguing with me. I don't like this. I don't like that. And and you come in here and you're like, joy to the world. I'm just not feeling it, right? And what Isaac Watts is saying is is if you were to look at our faces, do, do we believe what we're singing? Do we? So Isaac Watts' father, he told him, like, if you don't like the songs we're singing, why don't you write your own? And so he did. He wrote hundreds of songs and poems that were turned into songs. And when looking at Psalm 98, he wrote joy to the world, which causes us to ask, what is joy? Like, I don't like the Merriam-Webster definition. They, They define joy as happiness. When you get something, you get to do something. Like, surely joy is something more than that. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. And in writing um, the letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, he said this about joy. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Man, I love that so much. It's such a great line. Joy is what marks us as believers of Christ. If we go out into the community, a non-believer ought to be able to tell a Christian by the joy that they have. So, do you think that's something that we're identified by? Like Galatians 5 lists the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, right? It's second only to love. And then Ephesians are, are, are to the, the Christians there. He said it's joy. We are known by joy. But are Christians in our community known for their joy? I mean, Not Northridge, we are clearly very joyful. But the church at large, do you think that the church at large is known for their joy? I have to say maybe, maybe not. We're kind of known in the world as kind of sour, dour people. But we should be the most joyful people, shouldn't we? Of all the people in the world, that's that's what the gospel says. It says in Luke 2.10 about the announcement of the birth of Jesus, And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The gospel, the good news, brings joy to the world. So this first statement, joy to the world, should make us ask a couple of questions. First is why should we have joy? Why? Why, what reason do we have for joy? All we have to do is turn on the news. All we have to do is turn on our, our Twitter and start scrolling through to see that, man, there is so much junk going on in our world. There's division and there's strife and there's anger. What what reason do we have for joy? As the song says, it's because the Lord is come. We have joy because the Lord is come. And that seems like bad grammar to us. The Lord is come, has come. See, what Isaac Watts is saying is the Lord has come and he will come. He is come. He is here. And you notice that he says joy to the world, not joy in the world. See, joy can't be found in the world. You can find glimmers, moments of joy, moments of happiness in the world, but joy comes From Jesus, It is in Jesus, and Jesus comes to the world. Joy to the world. Everlasting joy can only be found in Jesus. That is the only place that you can find it, and he brings it to the world. That's the message of Psalm 98. So read with me. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. See those three statements, uh, has worked salvation, has made his salvation known, revealed his righteousness to the nations. Those are basically all saying the same thing. It's the same thing that we see in Titus 2.11. It says, for the grace of God appeared and offers salvation to all the people. Or Ephesians 3, it says, the mystery of the gospel being revealed to the nations. The Lord has revealed his salvation to nations, and then when you see the Old Testament talking about the right hand of God, that's, that's that's really talking about God's power to accomplish something. How He has done it? It's saying that He has achieved salvation for His people. How? By revealing His righteousness. How? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. Joy to the world! He's done it. He has brought salvation to the world. He brings joy. Reveals his righteousness. Now, if you're, you're new to the church, you might be wondering, what is this word righteousness? It's, it's pretty simple. It just means right standing or right relationship. So how do we, the creation, become right with the creator? It's through Jesus who came to our world. The reason for our joy, the Lord is come. Let's keep reading Psalm 98. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen his salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sounds of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the king. Let the sea resound, let everything in it and all the world, all who live it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. You, you kind of hear where joy to the world comes from, don't you? Start to start to hear that coming out. I love this song. But you might see these words, judge and, and judgment. You're like, What does judging have to do with joy? How do we get joy from judgment? But see, the proper response to the judge of the earth, the king, if we we properly understand him, is joy. The reason for our joy comes because he makes salvation known, judge the earth with righteousness and equity. He'll do it right once and for all, that which we could never do with all of our human understanding and our technology, we could never get right. Just, just, Just think of any time a judgment is handed down by a court, what happens? You have half the people like, yes, it's good. They got what they deserve. And you have the other half, no, they're rioting because this isn't right. There's a bad judgment, right? See, what, is, what this is saying is no human court or judge can ever bring justice because people are imperfect. We are fallible. So at best, we get imperfect judgments. And at worst, we get totally unjust judgments. That's why we have this division and strife. But the psalm is saying that there is a time when a judge who can rightly judge will come, and no one can say that's not fair. The judge of the earth has come, and that brings us joy. And then notice what he says, all creation is singing and clapping their hands. The the rivers are clapping their hands, the mountains are singing, everyone is singing. It sounds a lot like Psalms 19 from David. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And you experience this. You're driving down the road early one morning, you see the sunrise over the lake, or you see it setting on the other side. You go camping and you look at nature and the intricacy of it, and you realize how the design of this creation is so incredible. And you get a glimpse of the joy that creation is crying out. Nature is literally crying out. There is a God, there is a God, and he is far greater than anything you can imagine. True joy is found in God. The problem is we're usually too busy to notice it, aren't we? too busy going along our own way. But the king has come to judge. And why is creation singing? Because they know things aren't as they're supposed to be. But the one who will make all things right is coming. So why joy? The Lord has come. Why joy? The Savior reigns. Verse 2, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. I love that. I love that phrase, let men their songs employ. If you were here last time I preached, you would have heard that I am a terrible singer. If you ever sit in front of me during worship, I apologize. Like, it's bad. Like, I can't even sing and clap at the same time. I can do one or the other, but not well. But even I have a song to sing with my life. Your life is meant to be lived as a song of praise to God. The trees are doing it. The rivers are doing it. The skies, the hills, the mountains, they're doing it. The difference between us and them is that we've been given a choice in the matter. And most of the time, we're just not doing it. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. We join our songs with the song of creation because it is, knows that there's someone powerful, loving, kind, faithful that is in charge. And some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. If, if the Lord reigns right now, then why does it not seem like it? Why does it feel like everything's messed up? Does that mean he's doing a bad job? And the message of the Bible is that Jesus, the king, does indeed reign, but we, all of us, have rebelled against our king, rejected him, and there are consequences for this. The Bible calls this sin, but he will finally come to set all those things right. But we're living in this in-between time. We see this in Hebrews 10. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. He has offered the sacrifice for sin. He has risen from the grave. He sits at the right hand of God. He is reigning, but there's this waiting period. It's it's what theologians call the already-but-not-yet reality of the kingdom of God. He's already accomplished it, but it's not fully here. He's already defeated sin on the cross, but it's not fully realized yet. That's why we get glimpses of joy, but lots of sadness and heartache and sorrow. The world, we, are in rebellion against the king, but the king isn't done yet. Look at verse three, Joy to the World. It's it's the one you may not even know. Some of you may have never sung this before um, because it doesn't really go along with the theme of Christmas. It's kind of like the redheaded stepchild of Joy to the World. Um, We didn't sing it this morning either. This says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. What is all this? Sins, sorrows, blessings, curses. What's he talking about? Really, the the curse is the consequence of us rebelling against the king. It's Genesis 3 language. Uh, Most of you know the story, Genesis 3. Uh, We get the curse. This isn't like a Harry Potter curse. It's not like a spell or anything like this. Um, It's the result of our rebellion. Look at verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from all the days of your life. you will go on listing thing after thing after thing that are cursed. And what is all this? This isn't God saying, I'm going to make up uh, some bad things because you've been naughty children. No, he's saying that this is the inevitable consequences of what's going to happen in your life because you've rejected me. Let me, let me explain it this way. Say you want to go to Florida for Christmas. So you go out here, you get in your car, and you start driving north. You know, Florida's about five, six hours away. So you drive about that long, you find yourself in Knoxville. Oh, wait a minute, this doesn't look like Disney World. This doesn't look like the Gulf. Well, of course not. And what it's saying is that this is because of the choice you made. You chose to drive north, thinking that you were going to get to Florida, and it didn't work. I know it's an imperfect analogy, but what God is saying in Genesis 3 is that you have made a choice and there are consequences for that choice. I'm just telling you about them. The Bible calls it sin. Sin is not a very popular word these days, we don't use it very much. But if it's true, if it's true, that the king, the God of the universe created you, made you in his image, and you belong to him and his rightful reign, but you say, thank you, but no thanks. I'm gonna try and figure this out myself. There are going to be consequences for that. There will be fallout. The scripture is simply laying that out for us. And the song is saying, no more. No more let sin and sorrow grow, or thorns infest the ground. He comes to reverse the curse, to make blessings flow as far as the curse is found. How far is that? Every aspect of our world, every nook and cranny of your life, if you will receive Him. God created us, even you. You were made in His image, you are the crown of His creation. He made us to be in relationship with Him, but we have rejected Him. And the results of that touch every aspect of our existence. No one is exempt. But the psalm and the song both in a day when this will no longer be the case. No more will sin and sorrow reign. Doesn't that phrase, no more, like ache within your soul? Doesn't your heart ache for no more? I know mine does. No more women abusing the home. No more people in poverty exploited. No more racism and racial tension and division. No more divorce and broken marriages. No more children abused, abandoned, or dying of starvation. No more babies' lives destroyed in the room. No more. No more disease. No more cancer. No more dementia. No more watching our loved ones waste away into nothing. No more. Just think about it. Isn't that an amazing thought? I know in your soul there is something going on in your life right now that you are aching for no more. And that is the cry of Christmas. That is the cry of Advent. It isn't sweet baby Jesus sentimentalized and sanitized. It is the cry that the king came, he will come, and there will be no more sin and sorrow. Joy to the world. So how do we get this joy? That's the question we're all really asking. How do I get this joy? We get it by preparing him room. Prepare him room. Let every heart prehear him. That's our job. You remember the Christmas story, right? We, we talk about it every Christmas year. We we're about to do a production in the next two days. The king came and there was no room for him in the end. He was born in obscurity off to the side where no one could see him. This time, this time, we make room for him. Let every heart make him room. How do you prepare room for a king? How do, you, how do you do that? Is it like preparing your guest room in your house? Here you go, Jesus. You, you pull out the, the, the sofa bed. Here's some children's sheets. Here's some hand towels. How do you prepare room for a king? Do you, do you make room for him in your, your life? Do you carve out just a little bit of space in your busy life? What is that like? I remember I was flying. I don't remember where I was flying, but I was having a conversation with somebody. And this is back before everybody had their earbuds and stuff, so people actually had a conversation. Um, And we were talking, and he asked me what I did. I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. It's like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I used to go to church. I really need to get back into it. I need a little bit of Jesus in my life. And that phrase just struck me as absurd. A little bit of Jesus? Like, how does that work? Do you have, like, a little action figure Jesus you put in your pocket? Hey, I, things are a little rough right now. I need, I need a little Jesus right now. Oh, things are good. I'm busy right now. A little Jesus goes back in my pocket. That's not how this works. That's not, that's not how any of this works. You can't have a little bit of Jesus. You don't prepare him room by making him your life coach or your therapist or, or your friend. No, you fall on your knees in adoration of the king and you surrender to him. C.S. Lewis put it this way, I love this. If you haven't figured out, C.S. Lewis is my favorite author. In in mere Christianity, he said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping leaks in the roof and so on. You you knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. Uh, But presently, he starts knocking the house about in, in ways that hurt abominably and doesn't seem to make any sense. He's, what in earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He, he's throwing up new wing here, putting out an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he intends to live in it himself. That is so powerful. The Bible says that you are a vessel of the living God and he comes to live in you. Where do you need Jesus? All of you. Your job is to give him the keys and say, this is yours completely. All of it. Every room. And some of you have been believers all your life. You've let Jesus in, but you've got that like one little closet. That one room. Hey, Jesus, I need that key. That key's mine. That, that room's mine. That's where I keep my junk that I don't want you to see. That's exactly where Jesus needs to be. That is where he needs to be the most. Others of you have never let him in at all. And the cry of Advent, our response to the joy of the world, we fall on our knees in our heart and we receive the king. Finally, the last verse. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. And the wonders of his love. He rules the earth. The Bible says that someday all people, all men, will bend their knee, whether willingly or not, and acknowledge that he is the king. He makes the nations prove he eventually all will see him as king. So prepare him room now. Don't wait, prepare him room now. And that final line and the wonders of his love. Do you ever wonder at his love? Like I've been doing this so long and sometimes we get so theologically in our heads and so practically academically that, that we don't marvel and amaze at the wonders of his love. I've been doing this so long and I don't think that I understand the tiniest fraction of his love. The joy, to the world is, the joy of the world is here He is a king and not to judge or condemn you, to hold you down and make you feel guilty, but he gave his life. He came in weakness and humility and vulnerability, and he will come again in power and might and authority. So what we need to understand is joy is not from what we have, but it's from what we know can never be taken from us. That's our sermon in a sentence. The Lord is come, so make him room. Then, then, and only then will you experience true joy. That is our Advent job. That is what we are doing this Christmas. You pray with me, God. This Christmas we come to you. We say we. We acknowledge that you are the king, the judge of the earth. And so we say, here are the keys. All of us is yours, do as you wish with us. God, whatever may come, the the stresses of this season, whatever may come, we acknowledge that you, you are the only source of joy. And we celebrate that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at